I, I wasn't sure since this is a uh, a holiday in the United States, if uh, many people would come. Uh, so it's good to see everyone. And people still arriving. <clears throat> Pardon me. If there are a number of people on holiday from um, the United States, because it's July the 4th, and we might have a preponderance of people from the UK, which is kind of interesting given what this holiday is about in the United States. <laughs> I figured most of you are probably relieved not to have us anymore. You have enough problems of your own you know, having to deal with the United States, you know. My goodness. Uh, let's um, let's go ahead and begin our sitting now that we're we're gathering. <clears throat>
on this day in which we reflect on freedom. You might be aware that as you breathe gently and steadily as we sit, the air that you breathe is completely free and liberated. It moves around us and in us and back out of us again. Completely itself. It's only our ideas that separate us and describe our interaction with it, which we call breathing. And similarly with the space around you that you inhabit, that pervades the entire universe, the space is completely liberated and free. Interacting or not interacting, touching you. Even the vibrations of sound from the bell or my voice. Send this swell and then pass away. They're just vibrations, completely liberated. And all difficulties and struggles that we perceive in our small perspectives on the whole are actually all self liberating. They all pass away over time. If we don't keep rebuilding them, clinging to them, we're resting in a vast field of liberation and we use our voices to chant that. So our sitting is a small ceremony of celebration. Of complete freedom in the midst of the immense entanglements of embodied life. And to touch this liberation, all you have to do is sit with some stillness and breathe. You don't have to understand it. 
Just accept it, express it. Breath after breath, returning to silence, appreciating the vast space Be aware of the uh, expression of liberation as we chant the, the robe verse. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. 
wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Harmonizing all being. <clears throat> As I thought about uh, what I might reflect on today to support your inquiry and your, your own practice, uh, since it's the 4th of July here in the United States, I thought, well, I, I can't really ignore that. Uh, but I, I chose a different a little title when I was writing a few notes, instead of Independence Day, um, I wrote Liberation Day. Vast is the robe of liberation. And then I realized, well, <laughs> that's actually the name of George Saunders' new collection of short stories, you know, Liberation Day. Uh, it's, it's also the name of a quirky movie uh, that was uh, a documentary actually about the first Western band that played in North Korea, a Slovenian band. It's very strange. <laughs> so it's not about that particularly, but we know George Saunders uh, in his short stories. Um, some of you know of him and uh, read him. He's an ordinary, in some ways, guy, very thoughtful. He's Buddhist. And his, his characters are always struggling to free themselves from the constraints of the selves that they've created they're trapped in. If, if you read it with that eye, you, you see that he's really teaching in some ways, although I think that's not his, his intention. Uh, one of the characters in, in Liberation Day, in one of the stories, in a moment of moral outrage about something, I can't remember, said, this line, literally, you are trapped in you. Caught in the self-centered dream. So Liberation Day, you know, in, in our practice, every single day is Liberation Day. Every day is, is a day in which that's possible, when it's actually true, but we can realize it. Because one of the things that we're liberated from is the illusion of independence. When we use that word uh, emptiness in, in Buddhism, you know, what, what is it empty of? Well, it's empty of, of individuality, of separation. So one of the things that's liberated in our practice is the illusion of independence. A liberation from unnecessary suffering begins to open up as we realize our profound interdependence of all being. So Liberation Day is what does come to mind for me at least as we celebrate Independence Day here in the United States. And as I, I sort of touched on just a bit and when we we're sitting, 
you know, every single day, not only Liberation Day, every single day is, and everything in it, everything we perceive, this is individually centered, the way I'm saying it, is actually the ongoing manifestation of inconceivable potential and creativity. That's what's happening all around us. Now, sometimes that inconceivable potential and creativity looks beautiful and full of possibility. And sometimes it manifests as chaos and horror and all kinds of terrible things, but it's still inconceivable potential and creativity. Like, simply put, the air that we're breathing, the space that we're sitting in right now. But through constancy of our practice and ongoing maturity in practice, I would say from a self point of view, um, reality is liberated from our small personal perspectives and the demand that it be otherwise. Because we demand that reality be different than it is. And we trap it in our small personal perspective and say, this is reality. But actually our practice liberates us and it, li it, it liberates reality to be itself in a certain way. And this demand that we have that it shouldn't be this way. There's something wrong. This can't be it. I hope this makes sense. This is a different kind of liberation, you know. Reality is liberated from our small personal perspectives and our demands that it be otherwise. And of course, today there's the big celebrations here in the United States um, about the signing of the Declaration of Independence from Great Britain. Um, so as I said, for those Sangha members there in the UK, I hope don't take this personally. <laughs> and uh, so we celebrate, um, we celebrate independence on the everyday relative level, because there are certain things that sometimes we need separation from or boundaries about. So we teach independence on the everyday level, on the relative level. At the same time, we teach interdependence on the vast level of mutual causality. We're embodied, relative, living in this vast potential, the absolute. So, of course, my reflection today for, for all of you and, and with us isn't about you know, politics and history particularly. I don't really want to get into all that, but it, but it can't be free of politics and history because we're embedded in these lives that we create, just like the characters in George Saunders' stories in Liberation Day. Um, because liberation isn't an idea. It's personal. And it manifests as a life, if you really want to understand it. And as I was thinking about this, I thought it'd be good to step back for a second. Because in the past month, there are three big celebrations in the United States, which are uh, important. Um, earlier last month in June, June 19th was Juneteenth. Um, it's the uh, celebration of the anniversary. Um, this is June 19th, 1865, when Major General Gordon Granger um, came into Galveston, Texas, and let all the 
all the people know, including the slaves there, that they were actually free and that they had been free for a year and a half. But in these outlying areas, um, not everyone had known that. There were approximately 250,000 slaves in Texas at that time. There's a lot of people were freed. So Juneteenth has a historical thing that's incredibly important, but it reminds us to ask ourselves, where are we enslaved? And sometimes we only realize it later. Like you're free, but we don't realize it. Like those, the Emancipation Proclamation had come along a year and a half, but they, they remained enslaved because they didn't know that this is waking up. And someone had to let them know that. Also, the entire month of June was Pride Month, which has many pieces to it. One of the seminal moments was the Stonewall riots or the Stonewall Uprising and Rebellion um, in, started in June 28th, 1969. So within a lot of our lifetimes, at least those of us that are old, <laughs> um, when a number of gay people uh, in Greenwich Village um, in lower Manhattan rebelled against police harassment and brutality and um, arrests and said, no, there's nothing wrong with us and fought. And it began something. It began, and it's an example of, of how in our practice we say, I, I'm, I don't want to be exiled. I don't want parts of myself to be exiled. I want to accept myself fully. So it's important. And then an Independence Day today, June 4th, um, originally celebrated, um, started in 1776, was commemorating the signing of the Declaration of Independence, which had been ratified by the Second uh, Congressional Congress, um, establishing the United States. The 13 colonies became the United States um, in America. So something was declared. We say sometimes avowed. So in these three th things, there's we're looking at ens enslavement, uh, exiles, and, and declarations or realizations of something. And the first two, Juneteenth and Pride, mark uh, a power of being freed from enslavement, liberated from exile, as I said. And the third, the 4th of July, celebrates a moment of declaring independence from the other and claiming self-responsibility for one's own destiny in life on a good day. We, we claim that kind of, of uh, responsibility. But once again, I want to emphasize these things can get abstract and they become ideas. Liberation is always experienced as personal and it's best understood by looking unflinchingly at the way life is actually lived and independence, freedom, awakening, liberation, whatever you call it, are not just concepts, they are embodied energies that flow through a more spacious heart and a more flexible mind. And these energies transform relationships and communities and countries. 
So these, the energy of liberation flows through a more spacious heart and a more flexible and open mind. And that flow will transform relationships and communities and people. And there are certain moments, like, like the ones I'm speaking about, where we reflect on um, you know, historical moments, like turning points. Um, and once again, they're not just a date. We remember the courage of individuals or groups who pushed up against a previously held boundary or they stepped boldly out of exile against conventional constraints, or maybe they declared independence from powers which sought to continue to control or oppress them. And this calls for our practice questions, like, in what ways are you enslaved, even when others might be free? The question that went with Juneteenth, are there ways in which you still feel enslaved? when freedom is your birthright and what we reflect back over and over and over. Are there parts of you that are exiled, that carry shame and fear? That's what the Stonewall riots were about. No more exile, no more, sh no more taking on the shame and fear that's projected. And then for Independence Day, what would it take to declare your independence from greed, hate, and delusion? Even as you realize and embrace the fact that we need each other, you can't actually be separated, independent from each other. But you can declare your independence, your, your willingness not to be controlled by greed, hate, and delusion. So these three markers are actually practice questions if we turn it that direction, which of course is what I'd like for us to do today. And probably the most often quoted thing in United States history or about the Constitution is in the beginning where it, um, in the Declaration of Independence, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all people are created equal, endowed with unalienable rights. I don't know how self-evident it was. <laughs> um, it was self-evident that white men could be free. Um, there was a lot of other stuff, but I, I, I looked up unalienable rights. It's not a word we use. And it's, it has a fantastic definition, impossible to take away or give up. Rights that you can't, because they're, in it, they're, they're natural endowed with rights that you can't take away. And that essential right in, in our practice is for awakening, freedom. It's unconstructed. You can't uh, create it, you can't take it away. Neither created nor destroyed. It's our true nature. But once again, it starts to sound abstract. Let's bring it back to uh, real lives. How does it manifest? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about three uh, lives here in a moment. Um, <clears throat> let's see if I can manage screen share just for a second. I can't do all of this at once, but I'll talk about these three people. 
bodhisattvas in the world. Opal Lee, Fort Worth, Texas, who walked from Fort Worth to Washington, D.C. in her late 80s, 1,400 miles, said Juneteenth should be a national holiday and made it happen. Uh, Isan Dorsey, who wasn't necessarily at Stonewall, I put him there because he was a priest at the San Francisco Zen Center. I'll, I'll give you a little bit more information about him that I want you to. And then, of course, James Baldwin, uh, a famous and important writer. And it was James Baldwin that actually stimulated my talk today, which I'll, I'll share with you in just a moment. <clears throat> I want you to see the faces of the people. So this is how bodhisattvas actually occur in the world. Uh, Juneteenth, so Opa Lee in, in 2016 uh, walked that 1400 miles to convince the lawmakers to recognize Juneteenth as a national holiday in 2021, it was. Joe Biden signed it into law. Um, she was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize in 2022, in case you didn't know. <laughs> and she was honored as the first black woman to have her portrait hung in the Texas State Senate chamber. She made a difference. Um, she was given um, honorary doctorate degrees from the University of North Texas and also the college that she went, Wiley College. And there's a Juneteenth museum being built in Fort Worth right now called the Opal. So I tell you this because this is the way the Bodhisattvas manifest and how we continue to practice to free ourselves from enslavement. Uh, Isan Dorsey, <clears throat> was born, uh, his first name was Tommy, Tommy Dorsey. Um, he was a Soto Zen priest and a teacher. He was a Dharma heir to Richard Baker at San Francisco Zen Center. Had been abbot at Hartford Street Zen Center in the Castro district. And he developed the Maitri Hospice in Castro, which was the first AIDS hospice in the United States. Prior to that, all of this. He was a prostitute, a drag queen, and a drug addict in San Francisco. And his biography, Street Zen, is an amazing, amazing book to read. Um, I remember as reading it early on in my own training, I thought, well, you know, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, he was just an incredible person. Uh, and I know many people at San Francisco Zen Center who knew him personally and tell crazy stories, you know, and, and beautiful stories about what a wonderful man he was. He ultimately died of AIDS in 1990 himself. And as he was ill, um, he completed his Dharma transmission and his mountain seat ceremony as abbot of Hartford Street Zen Center. He knew how to come out of exile and invite others out of exile through his practice.
Another example, the third one, uh, James Baldwin. Um, this whole talk today, really, my reflection was inspired by a quote. Here's the quote from James Baldwin. He wrote, the longer I live, the more deeply I learn that love, whether we call it friendship or family or romance, is the work of mirroring and magnifying each other's light. Gentle work, steadfast work, life-saving work, in those moments when life and shame and sorrow occlude our own light from our view. But there is still a clear-eyed loving person to meet to beam it back. In our best moments, we are that person for another. So have you ever heard a better description of the Bodhisattva vow? It's even the Buddha's make of yourself a light. Kobenchino, a life light. So once again, let's let's look at the actual lived quality of where that came from. So he was born in 1924 in Harlem, and he grew up with his mom and his stepfather, uh, David Baldwin, who's a Baptist preacher. Know about that? Um, from New Orleans, Louisiana, and. And Baldwin said that his, his stepfather was extremely strict, although he considered him his father. He never knew his, uh, his biological father. And he was the oldest of nine children. And he took that responsibility seriously of helping care for and protect his three younger brothers and five sisters in a household that was quite rigid and in some ways kind of dangerous. Um, when he was an early teenager, up until he was 17, he actually um, would preach at, at the Fireside Pentecostal Assembly where he lived and began to develop his sort of rhetorical style. Um, but over time, he began to leave the church. In one of his uh, writings, um, it was called the, the Fire Next Time, was this book of essays, he said, if the concept of God has any validity or any use, it can only be to make us larger, freer, and more loving. If God cannot do this, it's time we got rid of him. And so whether you think about the concept of God, he's talking, if the concept of, if our practice, if our actual practices has any validity, any use, our practice must make us larger, freer, and more loving. And if our practice can't do that, that's not the right practice, is what I was reading him. And then these details are important. Just to understand the life is important to realize how in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, a black gay man in the United States could say such a thing that, we, that I just read to you. Because in 1948, when he was 24, he left the United States. He moved to Paris because he couldn't, he could no longer tolerate the racial and sexual discrimination he experienced every single day. 
there's a professor of law and critical race studies at Columbia, uh, Kendall Thomas, said Baldwin left this country because of racism and he left Harlem because of homophobia, two aspects of his identity that made him frequent targets of beatings by local youth and the police. So he spent the next 40 years abroad where he wrote and published most of his works. But then the violence in the 60s and the assassination of black leaders um, took a huge emotional toll on him. He knew Medgar Evans, Evers, who was killed in 1963, and Malcolm X in 1965, and Dr. King in 1968. And he basically had an uh, emotional breakdown. He became really, really ill and moved to the south of France to recuperate. And in 1971, eventually uh, settled into a house in a little village, uh, Saint-Paul-de-Mans, where he lived his life. And after um, a short battle with stomach cancer, he, he died on November 30th, 1967, 87, excuse me, in his house there in Saint-Paul-de-Mans. <clears throat> a week later, his body was returned to the United States and he was laid to rest at uh, in a ceremony at uh, the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York and buried in the Ferncliff Cemetery in, in New York. Some of the people that attended his funeral were Toni Morrison, Mary Baraka, and Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou said that Baldwin's love, quote, opened the unusual door for me and I am blessed that James Baldwin was my brother. So listen again to his words. The longer I live, the more deeply I learn that love, whether we call it friendship or family or romance, is the work of mirroring and magnifying each other's light. Gentle work, steadfast work, life-saving work in those moments when life and shame and sorrow, now you know about that in his life, occlude our own light from our view, but there's still a clear-eyed loving person to beam it back. In our best moments, we are that person for another. And that's the Bodhisattva vow. And against all odds, this was a life in which one man would not submit to being enslaved. Even though he was legally a free man, he was not free in the country in which he was born. And Juneteenth celebrates the freedom that came late, reminding us that we all have to continue to work for liberation every single day. And like the gay people at Stonewall Inn on Christopher Street in Greenwich Village, remove far down the island from Harlem, but on the same relatively small island, people refused and, and Baldwin refused to submit to the shame and exile of being himself. Being gay was not a crime. It wasn't an abomination. And ultimately, he declared independence and sought freedom from the constraints of this heavy baggage, you know, his family baggage and his religious conditioning. He declared independence from the oppressive and dangerous cultural bondage that he was enmeshed in. So all of this is to make a statement about what he learned about love. How does, how does it happen? How is liberation possible? within this world in which we live, even when it doesn't change and it doesn't free us. 
and we can do things to help as best we can and we can make the changes to save ourselves but this statement that he made about what he learned about love and the healing power of relationships and the necessity of giving and receiving the light of love and light are an expression as clearly as I've ever heard of the Bodhisattva vow to free all beings, to see through all delusion, to use every day as a gateway to liberation without exception, and to embody the unfathomable life which is immersed in love always. So, Liberation Day, here we are. <clears throat> Anything you'd like to say or ask? Any light you'd like to reflect back? Remember, that's the beauty of of his statement. In those moments when life and shame and sorrow occlude our own light from our view, there's still a clear-eyed loving person to beam it back. Isn't that what we're doing here? In our best moments, we are that person for another. Can I at least get an amen? <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> That's my Baptist background coming out too, yeah. Rosemary, I can always count on you. Come in. Hi, Flynn. Thank you. Um, this morning, I was listening to your talk from last week uh, and um, about um, the part where you said that um, things would be extended to us as we practice. And um, I, I was coming up with this, um, well, I also picked a compassion card this morning that um, with the Lojong slogans that had to do with the three poisons. Um, and um, uh, so I was um, craving was number one and the okay, craving for me is praise. And I, I, I crave praise. And I was thinking about the enslavement part of it, that it just, yeah. And um, then, so I stopped your talk, sorry, and I, I, I uh, recorded something into the phone and then came back. And it was something about, because you also talked about being welcomed. Uh -huh. um, so I was imagining um, being invited and being welcomed in, in this door. And of course, I arrived with all these things, that, these gifts that I could be praised for. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the host says, um, you can put those down because your gifts are known. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and uh, what Pima Chondran said with this, um, Craving is um, number one, fully about it. So that was very helpful. It's like, okay, that's step one. And then offer for all to be freed 
of this or other cravings. And I thought that was a beautiful thing. So, yeah. So thank you for the enslavement part. And I think I was thinking about Independence Day too. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of a, a powerful moment because so much of my character structure has been around achievement. You know, we get lots of degrees and do well and always be, you know, whatever. And I realized that. And there was a moment some years ago, I can't remember. And I, 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 I had never done this before. It was in a moment of feeling kind of bereft and hitting a low spot. And I was talking to my mother on the phone. And I said, if I never achieve another thing or get another, you know, merit badge or honor or whatever, would you still love me? I mean, it's a, it's a, like a little boy's request. Cause I know in some ways, but I never said it. And uh, so that she would have the opportunity to say, of course, honey, you're, you're perfect to me, just like you are. And that's the light reflected back. It's like, I, I know a lot of wonderful things to say about you. I just did when I said, oh, I can count on Rosemary. But, but not because you achieve something, because you, you keep showing up to reflect our light you know, back to each other. You're, you're just fine, just like you are. When we set down the craving, then we can actually meet. The craving gets in the way. Definitely. And it, it's, it's a way of separating too, because, well, I'm, you know, and singing is interesting. I've been singing since I came back from um, the retreat and um, had a little opportunity with some friends, did a little, little concert in a local library. And um, I've been, um, the, the listening, you know, I think I said this to the listening as I'm singing with my friends is just um, and also to, to see the audience, it's like all one thing. And it's just, yeah. So it has nothing to do with my voice alone. I mean, I, it's there, but it's, it's just the whole thing together is how it offering is your voice, but it's the whole thing together. That's the gift. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and it's a relief too, but I can see that, you know, did I do okay? You know, that kind of. And then just be gentle with yourself about those parts that worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know where it's from and yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for the liberation talk. Yeah. Hi Flint. Good morning. Yes, I can still say that. Good morning. Um, thank you, I guess, first for so explicitly and succinctly um, saying what, what you said today. Um, it's a message that needs to be said, heard, learned, lived um, on as many fourths of every month as there may be. And um, for including the people that you included and for 
tying that into the the bodhisattva vow and the the irony of how emancipation actually leads to togetherness and integration if you will and that was something you know, I remember you know, reading Baldwin in the 60s and all, and what a huge influence he was on my life. And having spent time in Greenwich Village, um, not you know at the Stonewall things, but being aware of that and seeing how that move for emancipation brought togetherness, um, which was hugely needed and, and vital for, for people to stay alive even. Yeah. Um, and I always also on this day reflect on what um, Frederick Douglass said back in 1852, giving a 4th of July speech, ironically, on the 5th of July. <laughs> oh. uh -huh. uh, that, that's, that just kind of underpinned the whole thing, like Juneteenth, and we hold these truths to be self-evident, unless you're a Black man, um, that kind of thing. So just, you know, Thanks. It, it it touches deep and it's very meaningful and you know especially powerful coming through in in your voice and with that background um, and the connections between things. Thank you. Well, it's especially powerful coming through your voice now back to me. And how we've said that. I don't, I can never know the fullness of your experience and vice versa. Yet and still, we are, despite our bald heads, twins. Uh <laughs> Even though we couldn't, there are certain aspects which are unique to us. When we speak about them and we speak about the unity part and also the part that we can't know, why does that make me cry? You know, because it opens my heart. Mm. So I feel these. I got to jump on you today and, and make sure I got the moisture out of my eyes before I click. Yeah, it's very tenderizing. Yeah, it is. Thank you. Hi, Julia. Hi. I'm. I'm just trying to continue my practice of being seen, being brave enough to step forward even if I'm not quite sure um, with what. It was beautiful, the start of, of, of the inquiry, sitting in Zazen, and just seeing your chest go in and out and feeling that I was actually in the presence of another person. Um, it was it was almost tangible. It was it was most peculiar, and it it brought a, a deep intimacy there, um, which I think has been helpful. Yes. By touching it, touching mm -hmm. the the intimacy and the reality by touching embodiment, not just. Mm -hmm. I'm um, I'm taking part of um, sewing the rakasu at the moment. Ah. And that is a very moving experience for me and a very steadying experience. Yeah. And it's been really interesting what that's brought up, um, what feelings and emotions. Um, but most of all about acceptance of ourselves, of myself, 
as I am. And even working with that for a number of years, all of a sudden it becomes real that actually acceptance of self really does open up a much bigger space. Isn't it interesting that it does so as we look at these lines of stitches, as we do them one at a time, we see ourselves, Mm. feel ourselves. And it's been beautiful sharing that with a number of people that are sitting in the room today. And I've been reading Blanche's book again, Blanche Hardman's Seeds of a Boundless Life. And she talks about um, not looking towards step ladder zen. (laughs) And I think that's something we all do. It's so easy to say, if I do this, I'll be better. If I do that, I'll be better. If I stop doing that, I'll be better. And that acceptance, the true acceptance is, this is it. (laughs) It's why I really love uh, that phrase from Dogen when he says, in contrast to to Blanche talking about Stepla, they were actually taking the backward step. Mm -hmm. And resting back in who we actually are. This isn't about progress. And and the, that that you read out today about being larger, freer, and more loving. That just seemed to sum it all up. And it's it's about stopping trying and but starting to trust instead. That's well said, Julia. It's not that we don't bring our energy fully, but it isn't to create something or get somewhere. It's to help us release all the things that we've attached to and let reality flow on its own. And it's beautiful. It is. It's everything that it is. Alistair. <laughs> Hey, Alistair. Hey. Um, I love you sitting in the light there. Yeah, I'm in the Manchester Buddhist Centre in my little room, which which I work. work, uh, Spend the light light coming in. It's beautiful. Yeah, many, many years in this room. (laughs) Uh, I think I've known you for longer, though. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. And uh, usually I'm usually seeing a seeing a client at this time uh, where you're where where the Sangha's sat on my screen. <laughs> so um, yeah, you're reflecting another kind of light today to me, um, which uh, I feel really deeply touched by. And I think that's really why I came forward just to say, uh yeah thank you to you all and uh thank you for celebrating those legacy holders those bodhisattvas that really chime on this day and uh you know chime really chime in in my heart for uh, you know how i how i've found myself having to give up 
in order to find Zen, you know, like touching in a way what Julia was saying is is that I, I, I discovered Zen by giving up, I think, on something and yeah. and discovering another way, you know, to be in the world. Um and um yeah, I I it's just such a, it just feels such a beautiful beautiful hour of my day today to feel really filled up by all your light you know and and I'm glad that you could make it today and that you yeah. could us and we could see your light reflected back to us <laughs> all the way from manchester hey so thank you absolutely thank you alistair and now it's time for us to end and we'll voice um <clears throat> I think today uh, it might be useful to voice the uh, Bodhisattva vow. And I just thought of that. So if you don't have it in front of you, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. You could listen, um, listen as I say it and others can say it with me. Yeah. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to embody it. Beings are numberless. We vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. We vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. We vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. We vow to embody it. Beings are numberless. This vow frees them all. Delusions are inexhaustible. This vow ends them all. Dharma gates are boundless. This vow enters them all. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. This vow embodies it. Appamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support makes a huge difference. There's a link for contributions on the website and um, for Flint directly on this form right here, I've put in the chat. Thank you all so much for your participation. Um, please feel free to stay afterwards and chat with Maria. <laughs>